Good morning, everyone. Before we get into these beautiful readings, this holy Sunday, uh, just a, an invitation. As we mentioned over the past few weeks now, we added an additional Mass to the weekly Mass schedule. We've added an early 6.30 a.m. Mass, and it's, it's so successful beyond my wildest dreams. If you remember the first day when we had that early 6.30 a.m. Mass two weeks ago, we had 46 people come. And then last Wednesday, we had 57 come. And we think, oh, maybe it's just the 8 a.m. crowd going to an early Mass, but that's partly true. But at the 8 a.m. Mass on last Wednesday, we had 57 in the morning, and then we had over 40 at the 8 a.m., so it's new people that are coming. And so again, if you want to add an additional powerful prayer practice in your spiritual life, I want to invite you to 6.30 a.m. Mass. It is geared towards families and working people. So if you have a commute, you have to go to work, you have to go to school beforehand, that 6.30 a.m. Mass is a powerful way to begin the week or the midweek to strengthen you to receive our Lord. So again, spread the word. 6.30 a.m. Mass every Wednesday. And if it continues to grow, maybe we'll add more. I'm, again, I'll lose sleep and lose hair, but all for Jesus happily do that for him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So if you're wondering what's going on outside when you, when you first walked in, there was music playing, we had boots out there, so what's happening essentially today is, well, two events. So when you go out, we have free donuts. So we're kicking off this weekend our faith formation year. So when you go outside, all of the donuts are completely free. And Deacon and I did a special blessing over the donuts, which actually, when each donut that you eat, you actually lose weight. It's utterly amazing. It's negative calories, each donut. So eat, please help yourself. So the donuts are completely free. We're kicking off our faith formation year. And on the other side, the best tacos north of Mexico, right here. Huh? So the tacos, it's actually a fundraiser. We have Our Lady of Guadalupe coming up in December. Our Lady of Guadalupe is our busiest weekend here at the parish. We will easily draw 5,000 people here. And it's a huge endeavor to host 5,000 people at our small little parish. We actually have an outdoor mass, we set up a stage. And there's all these different events. And as you know, to host 5,000 people takes a lot of not only hard work, but of course, funds. And so all of your donations, every taco that you buy goes towards Our Lady of Guadalupe and the great celebration that we have for her, for our mother. So again, please be generous. I can't promise you you'll lose calories with each taco, but definitely the donuts, huh? Last week and a couple of days ago, we had meetings with the parents of our faith formation. We have almost 300 kids in faith formation here. And Father Berg, your previous pastor, he started something new in the parish. It's called family faith formation. And part of the goal of family faith formation was to get the parents more involved in the faith life of their children. 
Because what happened before, and you'll see it's not only in St. Mary's, but sometimes we can fall into the bad habit of a parent just coming by, dropping off their kids, and then they leave, and then the, the kids do their thing in the faith formation, and then their parents are not involved at all in the life of faith formation. And so these parishes that are implementing more of a family model of faith formation, it is an attempt and a, and a, and a hard endeavor to make the faith all-encompassing. Who is the greatest influence of faith on the life of a child? The greatest influencer. It's not me. It's not our faith formation teachers. It's not Deacon Rob or, or Sister Laura. You could have the holiest priest in the entire planet, and, and I wish you had a holier priest than you, huh? But you could have the holiest priest, and I still will not have the impact on that child's faith life than who? Mom and dad. You are the greatest influencers, and especially, you can have even Mother Teresa as the mother of the home. But you know who has the most powerful impact on the life of the home, especially the faith? The father. Research has shown this, that if the father is alive in the faith, there's a greater chance that the children will embrace it. And so that is why the model of a family faith catechesis, as hard as it is, it is, you could ask Marta, our faith formation director, it's hard. It's a lot harder. It's a lot more energy to do that. But I dare say it's worth it. At the meetings, with all of the parents gathered, it was just the parents, and some of the kids were there, but it was more of a parent meeting. And I gave a little address as we began the faith formation year. And I laid out some very sobering statistics. Because I feel like, all right, if, if we're going to strive to articulate the faith, well, we have to know, well, what is the soil that we're dealing with in our culture? Because we don't grow in our faith in a vacuum, but rather we're, we're directly influenced by the culture. And so I laid out some statistics, some stats, just to give us an idea, a proper diagnosis, because like anybody knows, it is only in the beginning of a diagnosis where we can finally begin healing and living well. And so I laid out the stats. 50 years ago, do you know how many Americans identified as Christian? 50 years ago, so the generation of our parents and grandparents, when they were growing up, do you know how many Americans identified as Christians 50 years ago? Over 90% of Americans would have said, I'm a Christian, I identify as Christian, I live a Christian life. You know what that number is today? We're at 69%. 
In the last 10 years, that number has dropped 12%. So that means if the continuing demographics hold true, and which many social scientists believe will continue to go that way, within a few decades, Christianity will be minority. So what we're currently seeing in our culture is this swift eroding, this this jettison of the moral and foundations of our civilization right now. We are de-Christianizing at a rapid rate all across the board. And the implications of that, ah, we're, we're living through it now. And then I laid out some other stats. Do you know how many, I've mentioned this in a few previous homilies. A six to 10 year old. Do you know how many hours an average American six to 10 year old spends in front of their screen? Telephone, computer, television. Six to 10 year old, seven and a half hours. 10 to 14 year old, and it's all according to the CDC. If you look it up, the stats are there. A 10 to 14 year old, you know how many hours an average American through that demographic spends in front of their screen? Nine and a half. A, 14, a 15 to 18 year old, about eight hours. So if you want to average all that from a six year old to an 18 year old, an average American spends seven and a half, eight hours a day in front of their screen. Eight times seven, 56 hours in front of a screen during the week. If this average American is going to Mass, how many hours in a week do they hear about God? One. There's 168 hours in a week. If you just come to Mass in an hour, for an hour, and you don't do anything else, that's one hour out of 168. If you go to faith formation, you add another hour and a half, maybe, let's say, three hours a week during faith formation year that they're exposed to God. Three hours versus 56 hours in front of a screen. Who do you think will win that game? Because as we all know, when, whenever we watch television or play video games or we watch on social media, what's it doing? It's inculcating a set of values upon us. Or in other words, and Hollywood knows this, Hollywood knows that they are the greatest teachers and, and formers of minds. And so if you're constantly watching social media or television or movies, it is inculcating a set of values and principles upon us, whether we realize it or not. 56 hours in front of a screen. Three hours of faith formation. These same studies show that the fastest de-Christianizing demographic are young people. Why is that? One of our greatest struggles as a church, and I'm talking about all Christians, not just Catholics, is that the, cult, the current cultural trend which is being shoved upon us, is what we call secularization. 
It's the idea that we don't need God in our lives. We don't need him. We don't need to pray. We don't need to, we don't need to pick up our Bibles. We don't need to do any of that. If you want to, well, the, if you want to go to church, if you want to talk about God, that's as important as collecting stamps. Right? So that's where we are as a culture. So I, so I laid out all of the stats. So what our culture is imposing upon us is saying the idea that if you want to be happy, you, you don't need God in your life. And so what's leaving in its wake is a huge hole. Because what secularization says, if you want to be happy, just do whatever you want, and then just get, as you've heard me preach ad nauseum to you, the four classical substitutes of God. We all know this well. The four classical substitutes of God, if we don't have God in our life, one of these four takes its place, or a combination of the four. The pursuit of more money, more honor, more power, or more pleasure. Whenever we read scriptures, that's always the problem in us. We tend to replace God with one of these four. But it's not satisfying the human heart. They do more studies about the health, the mental health of young people. And they're discovering a correlation, especially among young girls. There's a correlation between the amount of time a young, young, a young lady spends on social media versus her, her sense of identity, how she, how she feels about herself. And the results aren't surprising. The more time they spend on social media, the more depressed they become more anxiety, the more lonely they feel. Why? Because what is social media? We're always comparing ourselves to one another. And especially at the young formative years, we're very sensitive to being loved and to being beautiful, to being somebody. When we have social media, we're always comparing ourselves to one another, and that, and that game never ends well. Again, all the studies show this. And so our culture is jettisoning God and replacing it with a false idol of those things which makes us more miserable. And now this is where Christianity comes in, the beauty of Christianity. So I laid out that sober landscape for the parents. Then I gave them donuts afterwards, so, so they were happy again. So. This is where, as Christians, this is our greatest gift to the world. Now, I, I hate it when, pa- when preachers do this, but just bear with me. If you've been baptized, <laughs> raise your hand, please. If you've been baptized, raise your hand. The vast majority of us. All right, when all of us were baptized, something amazing happened. Everybody that raised their hand, something profound happened to us when we were baptized. When the waters of baptism flowed over our heads and that priest said to us, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. At that moment, we were grafted onto the body of Jesus Christ. 
We became one with him. We became intertwined with the second person of the Most Holy Trinity. Think of a one way to think of it. Think of two pieces of melted wax. This is just an analogy, so don't, don't run with it too far. But when you have two pieces of wax that fuse together, they become one, almost indistinguishable. But in baptism, we become intimately united to Jesus. Not that we, we lose ourselves. Jesus is still Jesus and, and we're still us. But we become fused, grafted onto the body of Christ, as Scripture tells us. And I lay this out because with all that in the background, listen to the words that St. Paul says in the second reading today. He's speaking to the baptized here. And he tells the baptized, he says to us, none of us live for oneself. And no one dies for oneself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So that whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. Do you see what is in that theological background of these words? It is the fusion of the, Christ, of the baptized Christian to Jesus Christ. Because now, we have the Holy Spirit in us coursing through our bodies. We have been grafted onto the body of Jesus Christ. So that so intimately connected is the baptized Christian. That when we live, we live for the Lord. And when we die, we die for the Lord. St. Paul in his letter to the Galatians would go even, even more radical with his teaching. He said in his letter to the Galatians, it is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. So now the Christian, when they penetrate this great mystery, when they move into the world, what they see is that whenever I walk into a room, guess who's now there? Jesus Christ in me. Whenever I move, Throughout the, throughout the city of Vacaville. You know what's happening? Jesus Christ is moving through Vacaville. When I go to Winco, like this morning, to buy more cups for, for coffee and more creamer, because I know you guys love your creamers. Huh? I went there this morning at 6 a.m. to buy creamers for you, because I love you. Right? Jesus went to Winco to buy creamer and styrofoam cups. That's how intimately united we are to Jesus Christ. And so the intensity now, as, as our world is becoming less and less attentive to the spiritual dimension of the human heart, it is our job as Christians to make Christ alive wherever we go. Whether we do this well and a great test, just a, as a fun, maybe not so fun, but as an interesting way to think about our lives in retrospect. It's a wonder, you know when the end finally comes for us, what will they say at our eulogy about us? You ever wondered that? What will our friends and family, when they gather together and to mourn our, our passing, 
Do you ever wonder what they will say about us? So imagine, what will they say about me at my funeral? Will they say, oh, he was a, was a kind man? He was a kind father? He loved his people, was generous? He was good looking? <laughs> he was a man who loved Jesus Christ? with his whole heart and mind? Wouldn't that be an amazing compliment? That at our funerals, one after another, our family members would say, man, he loved Jesus with a passion. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing to say? Notice, at at our funerals, no one will say, Man, he had a nice car in life. See all those nice clothes he had? All of that garbage goes out the window. No one cares about any of that. And yet we kill ourselves to try to get those things. You ever wonder how silly that is? Grab a bulletin as you leave today. On the cover of it is a very famous photo from 9-11. We just celebrated, or we just remembered 9-11 a few days ago. And in this photo, I'll give you some context. The firefighters are carrying out a man by the name of Father Michael Judge. He was a chaplain for New York Fire Department. The last time he was seen alive, he was in the South Tower. And he was giving the last rites and hearing the confessions of injured firefighters. One report said that one firefighter went up to Father. Father Michael, you have to leave. There's no way we can control the fire at the tower. And it was one firefighter saying, you know what Father Michael Judge said? He said, my men are still inside. I'm not done yet. Then the towers collapsed. We find Father, and then that, that's the photo of, of the firefighters taking Father Michael Judge out. Father Michael Judge is the first listed casualty of 9-11. Out of all nearly 3,000 souls that perished that day, Father Michael Judge is the first one listed as the official victim of September 11th. And they did that on purpose to honor him. What do you think they said at Father Judge's funeral? He was a man who cared about the other first. He was a man who loved Jesus Christ and was willing to give the sacraments until his dying breath. He was a man who let everything go. Now that is the type of Christian witness we need now. 
Not soft Christianity or Christianity that has no teeth. A Christianity that just goes with the world. We need a Christianity and Christians who are willing to love Jesus Christ even though people will hate us for it and call us silly names and make fun of us as religious zealots. We need saints today. That will stop this radical dechristianization. We need holy fathers, holy mothers, holy aunts and uncles, holy priests and deacons. I want to live like Father Judge. And then imagine, if we did that, what will they say at our funeral? 